They are guides, all guides, and in unexpected places. You'll meet their friendly faces, and a ready hand besides. There's not much danger of finding you're a stranger for a commissioner or ranger. They are guides, all guides. Hi, and welcome to Guides Own, the unofficial guiding podcast where we talk about everything guiding. I'm Taryn. And I'm Marissa. In this episode, we will talk about guiding names, from owls and jewels to animals and flowers. Guiding names are not only a girl guide tradition, but a fun way to show off your personality. Speaking of which, we'll also be taking a look into the life of a former Girl Scout, whose name is well known in many households across America. Yes, we are talking about Katie Couric, a woman who has worked hard to make a name for herself in television broadcasting. And last but not least, we'll sing a song about a camel whose name we're sure you'll know. It's Alice the Camel. And let me tell you, she may be a well-known camel, but there is no information about her origins or <laughs> the song itself. Uh, the Curse of the Campfire song. No information. <laughs> on. But what um, I was able to find a little bit of information on was the guiding names. Um not as much as I expected, but there's mm-hmm. some information about there, um, especially about how those nicknames sort of started or guiding names, whatever you want to call them. Um, and I found out that so originally where guiding started in England is where the brownies started. Brownies was sort of the big one that was first, um, along with guides. Like those were the two big branches that basically started. Um, and the way it worked is that traditionally in brownies, um, the adult leader in charge was called brown owl. So always the adult leader was called brown owl, which I thought was interesting. Um, and then um, as the additional leaders were added to a unit or a troop, they were named after other owls. Um, it didn't specify what other names, but um, interesting to see where it started. And mm-hmm. interesting, I think, that they selected that the the main leader, the head of them all, was Brown Owl. Um, I wonder why yeah. Brown Owl, like, other than the fact that brownies are brown. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That Again, like, this is also a topic with limited information in terms of, like, solid factual information. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot of knowledge around people in Girl Guides, like the adults know. Like, there's a lot of things that you just know through word of mouth that don't necessarily get written down. So. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know who chose it, why they chose it, but that is the case. Um, I will say, I do remember in my brownie unit, we definitely had a brown owl. Um, and then we had a, the um, other leader was Snowy Owl. Um, and I think we just had those two leaders. I don't remember having any more. So those are like the two really big popular ones that I always hear of is yeah. brown owl and snowy owl. I remember having a brown owl and snowy owl as well. I'm sure we had another brownie leader. I know we had... Oh, it might have been guys. No, it was brownies. Um, We had one leader leave at the end of my first year because she was going to teacher's college. And I can't remember anything more. I remember them, like... And I remember very clearly in brownies, they had to be, like, an actual owl species. Um, And then by the time I Uh became a leader... Like, that seemed to have gone away. Um, yeah. Uh, I do yeah. recall hearing of other people being called things like Glitter Owl or, like, something just yeah. completely wild and not necessarily part of a species. Yeah, it's interesting that you only hear of those two. I know there's things like Barn Owls, 
screech owls, but like you might not necessarily want to be called a screech owl. Yeah, they not, not necessarily a good a good one to have. Um, I have heard too. Also, there's sort of a it's kind of up to the unit and the guiders on who gets to name the guiders. Um, mm-hmm. I've heard of units who do it as they vote by the girls. So of course the guider is the one who like consents to that because um, you can end up with some like really funny nicknames and ones that you don't necessarily want to be named after. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it depends on who you are and. Sometimes the brownies or the sparks or the guides come up with really good ones and they all get to vote on them. Um, and sometimes the guiders just sort of want to pick it based on their personality. Um, um, yeah, I know so when then, I um, was a guide, we got to vote. We had a new guider to the unit and we got to vote on her name. And like it was felt like a whole meeting or at least looking back, it seems like it wasn't a whole meeting. <laughs> but like. There was brainstorming, there were conditions, we wanted it, like, we had a theme, so the guider we had was a tree, and we had decided already that we were going, like, all of our patrols were going to be flowers or something, like, trees, like, something nature-y, so we wanted her to also have a nature name, it was a whole big thing, um, yeah. It's interesting too, because in guides, like your um, patrol units were made up of, uh, yeah, the flowers or the birds traditionally in the book. I don't think that still exists now that we have girls first. I would imagine it's maybe changed. Um, I wonder if they do. I remember being the same way too now. Yeah, I don't we'll know. have we'll to have find a brownie leader. Yeah, Carolyn. Carolyn knows. She'll know. Um, again, like every unit will be different, so maybe some adhere to the old stuff and others have embraced something new. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so those nicknames sort of evolved as girl guides grew. So when Sparks became a thing, um, Spark leaders got to be named too. Um, but their names were after Jewels, which had to do with the Sparks, um, story. And you get to hear about that with enrollment. I think I brought it up. Um, in one of the episodes about the ceremonies. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's a fun way to do it. I was a junior leader for Sparks and, um, got to have a jewel name and we got to pick ours. Um, I, I think we weren't sure if we wanted five year olds to come up with our jewel names or not. Um, and so my friend Maggie and I, we got to choose and, um, I think I've mentioned it to you before, like in Pathfinders, we decided we were going to be green gemstones. And then when we moved on to Rangers, we were going to be red gemstones. That's really cute. Um, so in Pathfinders, I was Jade, and I think she might have been Emerald. Um, so, you know, just like cute names. And it, it just makes it um, easier, I think, especially for Sparks, to remember your name because it's so unique. I think the more unique a name is, I find, the easier it is to remember. Um, yeah. When you've got, like, three Emilys and two Sarahs, it's like, oh, I don't know who's who. And, like... <laughs> The name is just so common that it's hard, I find it super hard to remember sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that is maybe why guiding names are a thing. It just helps the girls pick out who is who and remember them um, for a lot longer. I also sort of seemed to think when I was a girl that these having these guiding names, that it was just sort of a form of respect by not calling an adult by their name. Like it just, cause you know, in my, at least in my house, like when we grew up, like, we weren't allowed to call our parents by their first names. Like, yeah. not allowed. I still don't call them by their first names unless I'm introducing them to someone else. So to me, that guiding names was just a form of respect by not calling a 
an adult by their first name. Yeah, it's the same thing with, like, your teacher is Mr. or Mrs. whoever, um, your aunt and uncle or your aunt and uncle. That's kind of how I always saw it. And then by the time you got to Pathfinders, um, it was kind of assumed that you were old enough and mature enough to, like, not need that distinction of, like, having someone Mm -hmm. have a title for them to get respect. But, you know, you're old enough to realize that they're another person, so they deserve that respect. So, yeah, I sort of wrote about that, about, like, how Pathfinders and Rangers... um, and I even, when I was in guides, we just st- started calling them guider, whatever their name is, or whatever they, a nickname they wanted, um, as like the title. So it still sort of had like that form of respect if you said guider, whoever. So like I had, um, guider Julianne. Um, although we, I don't know, I don't remember a lot about addressing them, so I don't know if we actually did a whole lot of that. But like you said, when you get onto Pathfinder's Rangers, a lot of the guiders just prefer you use their name. And at that point, like you can, likely remember the name a little bit better and again you're at the maturity level to have that respect for them so yeah yeah i mean i still come across guiders who still have nicknames at that point but that point it's like it's just they've had it for so long that's just what they prefer to be (laughs) called in guiding and if you're looking to have a guiding name and maybe you want one but you're not in sparks or brownies so you don't have the jewels or the owls and you're not in guides so you don't necessarily have nature themed but you still want one um i've also heard of guiding names being chosen from like tv or cartoon character names um just to make like things easier and more fun and then like you said like with guides they tend to go for nature animals or flowers but mm-hmm. i don't think there's like strict guidelines on like the theme other than that yeah guides traditionally have been under that theme with the, the patrols. I've also seen a lot of, like, nature-themed um, names. So I know a couple people, like, their guider name is Moose. Um, <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, and, like, you know, maybe their favorite animal or something would be their guiding name. Mm-hmm. Um, I know someone, um, we talked about in our Maybe our cookies episode. Um, my spark leader was named Cookie because she was in charge of cookies for our community. Sometimes they'll come from like your role outside the unit or something like that. Um, I know someone who went by Oreo because she was going gray. Uh. Um, and it looked oh. like an Oreo. <laughs> That's fun. I like that nickname. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a good one. Um, I've always been super jealous of people in just, like, regular life who have nicknames, because I never, you couldn't ever make my first name into a nickname. Like, Marissa just doesn't have a lot of nicknames, at least not ones that I've heard that I've liked. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I really don't like Missy. I hate Missy. It just, oh, it sounds like a prissy, like, girl's name, like someone who's, like, all high and high and mighty and, like, you know, um, spoiled, so I don't like yeah. that. Um, and there's not really much else you can make out of it. I've tried to get people, although my efforts haven't been very good, um, to do the nickname MJ because my middle name starts with a J, so then, like, I like that. I like MJ, but people don't 
you know, it's not so, it's also hard to like get people to start using a nickname when you've yeah. been in a unit and it's like, I can't just bring it in because now all the girls are going to be so used to calling me Marissa. They're not going to get used to calling me MJ. So yeah, I had the yeah, same I've been, problem. I've been jealous of that. Yeah, Taryn doesn't really have any short forms. Like, I'll have like family call me T. Hmm. And like some people will like sometimes try and shorten it to Tear or Tar. And uh, just uh, <laughs> don't like it. <laughs> no. Yeah. See, I think nicknames have to be chosen by yourself, but then you'll need help, outside help to get people to start using it then. Yeah. Um, it's also, there are some names that just lend better to nicknames than others. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And actually, that's sort of a good transition point because um, Katie Curry. Katie Couric is actually, her given name is Kathleen. Yeah. I actually know of several adults who were either named Kathleen or Catherine who ended up going by Kathy or Katie or something like that. And it's, you know, that's a name that lends really well to either a nickname or a short form name. My uh, grandma was a Kathleen and she went by Kay, which I liked a lot. You know, had to be her own lady even way back when. Um, but yeah, so Katie Couric is our She Was a Girl Guide this week. Nancy Reagan, Helen Hayes, Jan Davis, Jean Sauvé, Carrie Fisher, William's sister, Shirley Temple Black, Tammy Duckworth, Kathy Frost, Candace Bergen, Lucille Ball, Debbie Reynolds, Princess Margaret, Hillary Clinton. Did you know she was a girl guide? Busting down the door a hundred years or more. Did you know she was a girl guide? Here to let you know she was a guy, you know. Did you know she was a girl guy? Um, so Katie Couric, you know she, uh, she was born uh, January 7th, 1957 in Arlington, Virginia. And her mom was a homemaker and a part-time writer. And her dad was a um, public relations exec and um, news magazine editor. And she was one of four children. I couldn't figure out where, like, she was in birth order. Um, mm. But um, her parents, Eleanor and John, had four kids, three daughters, and a son. Um, and it seemed like she had a pretty, you know, normal childhood. No, nothing super exciting happened. She went to the University of Virginia and graduated in 1979 with a degree in American Studies. And while she was there, she worked at the school paper, the Cavalier Daily, in a whole bunch of different places, um, just kind of anywhere that they needed, filled in. Um, and then as she got more senior, um, was able to be a little bit more picky, but like was very happy to work wherever in the paper they wanted. Um, and then when she was a senior, she was applied to and chosen to be a senior residence in the um, University of Virginia student dorms. Um, so super involved with campus life. And then right out of university, she started working with uh, ABC News Bureau um, in D.C. And then started working with CNN pretty quickly after that. So by the early 80s, she was with CNN. And then within her first decade out of school, um, I didn't find 
a date, but uh, she earned her um, Emmy and an AP or Associated Press award working for WRC TV, the NBC news station in DC. Um, so you know, wow, pretty impressive as a young journalist already. You know, making waves in the news world. Um, and then, um, she kind of made it big and, you know, the out, like outside of the news world in 1989 when she became the deputy Pentagon correspondent with NBC News. Um, and, um, part of her role at NBC at that time was an anchor substitute for other NBC news shows. Um, as people were sick or vacation, she would step up and fill in for uh, people as needed. So she did that for a few years and then joined today um, as a co-anchor in, 19- in April 91, uh, when another host decided to not return after her maternity leave. And then slowly started making huge waves. So in 1994, um, she co-hosted with Tom Borak, um, a show called Now with Tom Borak and Katie Couric, which, uh, was a weekly news magazine, um, that lasted for a few years, but then was folded into Dateline NBC, where Katie Couric, um, was named an anchor and would appear uh, five or six times a year doing uh, stories with uh, Dateline. And then throughout um, her time with Now and Dateline, she was continuing to be a regular host um, at Today, and um, she only left the Today Show uh, in 2006 when she left NBC. But while she was with NBC, she uh, definitely was busy for those 20-odd years. So she would occasionally fill in on the NBC Nightly News. She hosted the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade pretty much every year. Um, Hosted a number of specials, um, covering pretty much anything she wanted. Um, She did a special on colon cancer. Uh, a couple other things. Uh, she co-hosted the opening ceremonies of multiple Olympics and interviewed a number of celebrities, including Presidents Gerald Ford, Jimmy Carter, George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, and George W. Bush, along with Barbara Bush, um, and also did the first and last interviews that uh, JFK Jr. did. So definitely... Big definitely wasn't intimidated by, you know, multiple presidents. And then in 2006, um, she wanted to change things up a little bit um, and move to CBS, CBS News, which made her the first solo female anchor um, to anchor the big three weekday nightly news broadcasts, um, which are ABC, CBS, and NBC. So when she moved to CBS News, she became the anchor and managing editor of CBS Evening News um, and a regular contributor to 60 Minutes. While she was at CBS, she made 
um, $15 million a year, making her the highest paid journalist in the world. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. So, uh, definitely career focused. And it definitely didn't stop her from interviewing um, some big names. So, while at CBS, she interviewed... I just put a selection because this list was too long. Um, but she <laughs> interviewed Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, uh, George H.W. Bush again, Condoleezza Rice, who at the time was the Secretary of State, Michael J. Fox, the Canadian actor, Sully Sullenberg, um, who many people will know as the pilot um, of the Miracle on the Hudson, uh, the pilot who hit a uh, flock of geese and had to make an emergency landing in the Hudson River in New York. And Sarah Palin, where we got the famous I can see Russia from my house quote, um, leading into <laughs> the uh, 20 or 2008 election. So on top of doing all these interviews, she was the first network anchor on the ground in Port-au-Prince after the 2010 Haiti earthquake. She did in-depth coverage of the BP oil spill um, and insisted on doing a show once a week in Louisiana to highlight the uh, oil spill and the ramifications of it. Um, she reported from Tahara Square during the Arab, Square, Arab Spring in 2011 and also covered Prince William and Catherine uh, Middleton's wedding in 2011. Definitely all over the place um, and using her high profile to highlight um, important things happening around the world, both economically, socially, environmentally, um, and then, you know, having some fun and doing a little social commentary <laughs> with uh, the royal wedding. Um, yeah, I'd imagine that would be like a high, not high priority, what's the word? Like hi highly sought after one to go for. Like everyone wants to host that one, the weddings, right? It's, yeah. Like, first of all, you get to be there. I'm assuming, I think most of those journalists got to be like there on the ground, at least not if in the church, but like outside, like that would be awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then there's so many incredible people too that she's meeting to and talking to. Like, I mean, meeting Sully Sullenberger, like, Cool, like that's yeah. wild. Like that's just like sort of like an ordinary citizen who's like just done like this heroic life saving act. Like with a lot of pressure behind him and uh wow, like being able to, you know, be the person to talk to him and also these things like the Haiti earthquake, like when that first happened, being the first news anchor or the first reporter there. Yeah. Um, to like report back. Um, that's crazy. Like I can't imagine like what she would have been experiencing too right so like going from these nice like things like getting to host like the commentary for um cbs on the wedding and then going you know years before that being on the ground in haiti where it's just like devastating like mm -hmm. just so much loss and like poverty and everything around it like it, there's like it's like the the not the highs and lows but like you know the bright happy lights and then the sad like times like that's I'm imagining emotionally that's a lot to go through too yeah and like she definitely wanted to be there like mm -hmm. wanted to make sure that the you know United States and the world saw what was happening and could you know 
help with the recovery, you know, give Haiti the hand up that they needed so desperately after that awful, awful earthquake. Yeah, and then um, one of her side projects with CBS was she hosted a weekly one-hour interview program for CBSnews.com. Um, and guests included Al Gore, Hugh Jackman, Michelle Obama, Justin Bieber, Jane Lynch, Ellen DeGeneres, and Daniel Radcliffe, to just name a few. Like, the people she has interviewed, like, I just, every time, like, I got to a new, like, section of, um, an article or something, like, it was just a new list of names of people, like, oh. <laughs> And, like, these are only selections. Like, these lists were insane. I think the big thing to note, too, is that these are, like, one-hour interviews, like, edited down to one hour. So, like, she's spending quite a bit of time. It's not like those, you know, when you get those press-like days where people are promoting a movie and, like, yeah, you get to, like, interview them. But it's, like, maybe for five, ten minutes, like, Mm -hmm. tops, I would imagine. And, you know, they're not, you don't necessarily get a lot of time with them. So, her being able to interview these people for, like, I would imagine an hour or two, right? That's, yeah. That's really cool because then you actually get to know the person and you're not just asking, like, what people want to hear. This is, like, real stuff. Definitely get a little bit more in-depth than that 15 minutes on, like, David Letterman <laughs> or something. Um, right? Yeah. In 2011, she left CBS and went back to where she started at ABC where she started a daytime talk show called Katie, where she interviewed more people. And then she, um, when ABC News was bought by Yahoo, she stuck with them through that and kind of, you know, is still doing a little bit of reporting as, like, she wants, but has more or less retired from, you know, the big spotlight. And then she has done lots of other cameos and appearances. Um, so much like in Zootopia with Peter Moosebridge, um, Shark Tale <laughs> oh. did the same type of thing with, um, cameos of local news reporters, um, in a news role. So she was Katie Current. Um, in Shark Tale, <laughs> doing a quick cameo, reading some news blurb. She also appeared in Austin Powers, General Hospital, the original run of Murphy Brown, the original run of Will and Grace, the Sully Sullenberger movie Sully, where she helped recreate her 60 Minutes interview. Um, she did a Sesame Street special on um, dealing with death in children. And she did an episode of Glee where she interviewed Jane Lynch's character um, after they lost some cheerleading competition. So definitely also got all over Hollywood and had some fun doing that. Um, She did a number of graduation speeches at various universities. But of note, she uh, returned to University of Virginia in 2012 to deliver their graduation speech. Um, she's gotten a few honorary doctorates over the years, including an honorary doctor of science for her efforts of raising awareness of um, colon cancer um, after her husband died um, in 1998 from colon cancer. 
Um, she actually went and got a colonoscopy on air to help raise awareness for it. And there was a 25% uptake in colonoscopies for the couple of years following that. Um, and then a few wow. years later after that, um, she also went and got a mammogram on t- or for TV as well, um, hoping that it would also raise, raise awareness for breast cancer and encourage women to go get mammograms. She's also published a couple of books, um, two kids' books, The Brand New Kid and Blue Ribbon Day, which I couldn't find a lot of information on. But she also published a collection of essays called The Best Advice I Ever Got, Lessons from Extraordinary Lives, um, which definitely is another book that I've added to my reading list because of the podcast, um, where she talks, (laughs) I can't remember now, it's either she talks about the interviews that she's done over the years and lessons from that, or she compiled essays from people she'd interviewed. I can't remember, but either way, definitely something I want to read. And then a little bit about her personal life. Um, she married John Paul uh, Mahone, who went by Jay in, ni- in 1989, um, and who unfortunately died from colon cancer in 1998. Um, which sparked her to become this like a huge spokesperson for colon cancer awareness. Um, with her husband Jay, she had two daughters, Eleanor Tully, named after her mom, born in July nineteen ninety-three, and Carolyn, born in nineteen ninety-six. Her father died in twenty eleven from complications of Parkinson's. And one of her sisters, a Virginia um state senator has also passed away. I couldn't find the date from that quickly. Um, And then she eventually remarried to a gentleman named John um, in 2014 in a small ceremony up in the Hamptons at her house. Couldn't really find too much about her life after that. Seems like she's gone into at least somewhat semi-retirement, which is fair. Another one of those people mm-hmm. who I was exhausted just reading through their Wikipedia. <laughs> um, yeah. Definitely yeah, I would a... say she's definitely entitled to retirement. I was just looking. As soon as you said, brought up the kids um, and when they were born, I was like, oh, okay. So, like, they're around my age. And then I looked at um, back at her Katie's birth year, and I was like, oh, yeah, she's only one year older than my mom. So, that that makes sense. And my mom's just retired end of last year. So, yeah. I'd imagine, like, yeah, she's been in it for a long time and definitely has the accolades and experience to back it up. And, you know, definitely, definitely worthy of getting to retire and sort of, you know, take a step back. And I think the other thing, too, about doing that is that, again, you give other people um, the opportunity, other women maybe, to step into your role who, you know, are looking to also make a name for themselves. Yeah. Sort of what that does. Um, She definitely was at, like, the forefront, wanting to be places and wanting to, you know, raise awareness and definitely used her name and... A little bit of her look. She was referred to as America's sweetheart for a time. Um, to kind of raise awareness to issues she thought was important. 
and, you know, using her celebrity to her advantage in a way, you know. Not everyone mm-hmm. can, you know, insist um of doing one night a week of their week of their nightly news show in Louisiana to highlight um an oil spill that, you know, I'm sure a lot of people would have wanted to disappear a lot sooner than she would let. <laughs> and putting herself in, you know, not necessarily the safest situations at all times, going to Haiti um and going yeah. to um Dr. Madam's where TR Square um for the Arab script Arab Spring definitely willing to go and put herself out there. Yeah, I think that's something that too that people can sometimes forget about the people who are like on the ground reporting, um, especially in those places that like they're a lot of the time putting their lives on the line, and that's just really scary. Um, yeah. I've actually been watching a lot of like sort of documentary style news. Things so like in Canada, um, CTV has a segment called W Five, and it's just they investigate all these different stories. And yeah, sometimes you get like into these areas, these countries where it's not very stable, and you know the news or reporters aren't taken to very kindly, and it's like you have to, you know, make sure you're um, sort of playing by their rules and making sure you're following whatever laws are in place over there. Um, yeah. That's probably a big part of the job, too, is, like, making sure you're aware of these things, because that's part of your job as a reporter, to prepare yourself for the trip. And, yeah, I remember, like, I forget how old I was, but at one point I thought I wanted to be, like, a journalist, which isn't quite the same as a reporter, but, like, in terms of the risk level, it's the same, right? Mm-hmm. You're going out and interviewing people, and depending, I mean, depending on who you're working for and what you're doing, but I would say she has a lot of courage, um, going to those places, doing those stories, um, and, you know, speaking up too, like you said, for, for the causes that, um, are important to her. Yeah. And making sure people know and, you know, putting yourself out there, like doing those, those exams on live TV, like with the mammogram and the, um, colon one, it's, yeah, like you're putting yourself out there and that's, that takes a lot to do as, especially as a female, right? Like females Mm -hmm. aren't always treated very well, um. I imagine too, she probably, you know, had a lot of stuff to get through, um, working her way up in an industry that maybe isn't nearly as male dominated as it once was, and especially compared to other careers, but she definitely would have had some, yeah, she's black feelings to break. Yeah, she started working at ABC the first time, um, in 79, like, journalism has definitely changed and like I've heard you know rumors of male like news anchors you know not wearing pants behind their desk because it wasn't on camera so Uh. they didn't care Um, and like that kind of you know unprofessional scuzziness I think it's one of the great like great things that she appeared on Murphy Brown um, which is about a female journalist, you know, trying to make it. Um, I never really watched it. My parents did, so I saw a little bit here and there. Um, but it seems like a good show. Definitely would have been on brand for Katie Couric, you know, breaking those glass ceilings and just doing things her way, getting it done. Yeah, and definitely, like, I wish I had so much more time to go, like, more in-depth about her. Um, but I just didn't have time. 
Um, and I feel like I shortchanged her a little bit, but it just means that, you know, all of our listeners can go and do a little reading of their own on her and discover about how great she is. Yeah, definitely. I think sometimes too we get a little carried away on this segment and we go like for too long. So I think maybe it's good. It like <laughs> definitely gives enough information and then encourages people to find out more if they want to see more. Yeah. Um, I like things like even going to see what cameos she made in those TV shows and movies. Like that would be enough, right, to get you uh, encouraged and looking out. I just um, I remember watching Shark Tale when I was a kid, but totally you know didn't pick up on the fact that. It was Katie Kirk because, like, I was way too young. Yeah. Um, and then, but then Glee, I watched Glee growing up, and um, I just did a quick search to remember. I remember that episode of her, um, Jane Lynch's character, Sue, getting interviewed, and them taking, like, super seriously about them losing this, like, cheerleading um, competition. And uh, I, like, looked up the picture, and I was like, yep, I do remember that now. And uh, totally didn't know who she was, especially because, like, we're Canadian, so we don't... Like, I've never watched the U.S. news unless it's, like, a breaking story that they're sharing, like, and you just happen to see it, and Canada's not covering it. Um, I'm sure I've probably seen her report on something, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah, you don't you don't get to hear about her, so... Yeah, it's nice to hear about a former Girl Scout that's uh, made it in the news. I don't think we've had a news anchor or reporter yet, so... Yeah. A nice new perspective. Not an astronaut, which... <laughs> there are I'm sure we could do like a whole podcast just on former girl guides and girl scouts who are now astronauts um, yeah also athletes tons of athletes up there yeah and I'm sure there is also a ton of journalists just mm-hmm. a lot of like what we're taught and how we're encouraged to go and do things um, definitely leads like the way to being a journalist and, like that inquisitiveness that, you know, we're instilled with and wanting to, like, learn and try things. Um, But it seems like it's a lot harder to break through and become, like, a star journalist versus, like, an astronaut or uh, an athlete. (laughs) (laughs) There's, of course, tons more, but, yeah, those are the ones, you know, that you think of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of singers, I do know that. I also remember that being a big one on the list. A lot of musicians and actors and act or actresses, I should say. Not yeah, actors. there's a lot of actresses. There too. Yeah. yeah. So from one famous lady to another, it's time for a campfire song <laughs> and the very wonderful Alice the Camel. Alice the Camel has four humps. Alice the Camel has four humps. Alice the Camel has Four humps ago, Alice go bum bum bum. Alice the camel has three humps. Alice the camel has three humps. Alice the camel has three humps ago. Alice go bum bum bum. Alice the camel has two humps. Alice the camel has two humps. Alice the camel has two humps ago. Alice go bum bum bum. Alice the camel has one hump. Alice the camel has one hump. Alice the camel has one hump, so go, Alice go, boom, boom, boom. Alice the camel has no humps, Alice the camel has no humps, Alice the camel has no humps, so Alice is a horse. Alice the camel has five humps. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, so like I said earlier, there is like no information on where the song came from, like who wrote it, how it got started, how it spread. Um, so I'll just sort of give you the brief, um, information about the song and, you know, what we do with it in guiding and why it's so popular. Um, so yeah, it's an easy and fun song, um, to do. And I find through my gunning experience, we do it a lot with the younger branches. Um, when I was in Sparks, it was a popular one, um, to do. And as the Sparks Junior Leader, we did it a lot. It was mm-hmm. just a fun, easy song to do. And again, it's like, it's a song that has action. So that really pulls girls in and they really love doing it. Yeah. Um, I also feel like I've heard the song definitely on kids shows. Like when I search the song, there's a lot of kid versions of the songs. Like I feel like maybe, um, Barney used to do this if anyone watched Barney. Oh yeah, <laughs> and like TV shows like that, right? Like they did some of those style songs. Mm-hmm. Um, so like not just within the guiding world, but you know everywhere. I'm pretty sure we also did it in school. Like it's it's such a big song. Yeah, and yeah. So basically, the way the song works is that um, you're talking about Alice the Camel, who has you know start off with a number of humps. If you're with young kids, you only do like start off with five, and then each first you go down a hump. Um, and at the end, you, the last verse is Alice the Camel has no humps. Um, and then you end that one by saying that Alice is a horse, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, which is fun, right? Easy, uh, way to end a song. Has a real kick out of it. Um, but technically I have learned that a camel having no humps does not make them a horse. Um, I did this, huh. uh, as I was doing this research, I found this, um, site that talked about how um, this guider from the UK, Guider Nikki, explained why camels with no humps um, would not be horses. So, um, and the reason being is that they are part of a family called the Camelidae family, um, which also includes animals like llamas, alpacas, um, lacunas, and guanacos. Um, and they're in the order Artiodactyla, so that is talking about animals with even toed ungulates. Don't really know what that means, but it basically means that they, their weight is borne by their third and fourth toes. Um, so yeah, you can see the similarity between a camel and like an alpaca or a llama, like similar sort of creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, how horses are part of a completely different family, um, the equidae, um, in the order Paris, Parisodactyla. Uh, which means they have odd-toed ungulates, and their weight is borne by the third toe, al- third toe alone. Um, so, I mean, the small discrepancies when you're <laughs> talking to an ordinary person, you have no idea really what that means, but they are completely different um, families. And so if she didn't have uh, any humps, she wouldn't be a horse. Um, but, you know, it's just easier and more fun to sing if Alice does become a horse, because how else are you going to explain it to a kid in a song? like? It's just made to be fun. It's not meant to be technical. And horse and chorus rhyme a lot better than llama or alpaca and chorus, which makes it a little bit more fun. Right? <laughs> a little sillier. Exactly. Oh, um, I had no clue yeah, that... Sorry, there are... Sorry. I had no clue that camels and llamas and alpacas were all related um, and that mm-hmm. horses are a different family. I thought they like were yeah. a lot closer than I guess they are. I would have had no idea until I did this that 
Um, but, you know, like, when you hear it, it makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Camels don't really look anything like horses. They look more like an alpaca or a llama. Mm -hmm. Um, or one of those other two that I mentioned, which I had never heard of before. Um, I will have to look those animals up. Um, but yeah, the song is nice. Uh, like I said, it has actions. So, um, the way it goes is that as you sing the, the verses, every time you say the number, so Alice the camel has five humps when you say five, you bend your knees and then you come back up. Um, and usually when you're doing this song, um, the group likes to either stand in a circle or a line and you just put your arms across each other's shoulders. I'm doing this like as if you could see it. Um, <laughs> listeners aren't going to be able to see what I'm doing. But, you you know, you put your arms around each other's shoulders and you create a line or a circle. And then you all get to go down at the same time when you say the number, um, which can be funny when you're with little kids and they don't quite have their timing right. And then the line sort of goes at different times like a wave. Um, yeah, so every time you see a number, that's what you do. You bend your knees. And then at the very end of the ver- verse, um, when you say, so go, Alice, go, then you say, boom, 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 and you move your hips back and forth, and you tend to hit each other's hips because you're not all going the same direction, and sometimes you collide, and sometimes you're just sitting there. Um, it's just part of the fun of it. Uh, I definitely so yeah, remember really easy, simple song. I remember trying to, like, purposefully, like, hip-chalk my friends. Mm-hmm. It was obviously when yeah, we were a little bit older and, you know, could do a little bit more yeah. rough, but definitely made it into a little bit thing. of a game. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, and when you're, I remember teaching it to Sparks, like, they're much, much shorter than you, so sometimes you can, like, go onto your, like, sit on your knees and do the song, and then you're sort of at the right height, Um but yeah, you can't really hip check a brownie or a Spark, <laughs> like, you, you can only do that when you're, like, in Pathfinders or Rangers or... You know, I mean, the other sparks might might do it because they're at the same height, but like they don't know about hip checking necessarily, and they're not into that. <laughs> yeah, but it yeah, was... it's a fun song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely fun. Definitely always gets some laughs going, um, just mm-hmm. because of how silly it is. Yeah, solid song. Always yeah. fun. And how many songs do you hear about a camel? Like, there are no other songs about camels that I know of. Yeah. It's a good one. You hear a lot of songs like about bears and like frogs and whatever else flies. Like camels are just a very unique animal, which is what makes me want to know where that song came from. Like who talked, who brought up this camel song? Yeah, there are not a lot of camels in the world. Um, I guess that brings us to the end this week. It's a little bit of a shorter episode, but that's fine. You know, sometimes that's what happens yeah. in life. Um, so subscribe to our podcast on our, or on your favorite platform, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever, um, and wherever you find us, give us a five-star rating and a review to let us know that you're listening and enjoying. Mm-hmm. And you can also follow us on social media. We're at Guides Own. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, and if you follow us there, you can keep up to date on the newest episodes, any podcast news, and some behind-the-scenes bits, which people tend to love. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember seeing a post recently, I think it was last week or the week before, that got like 37 likes. And like for Ooh. us, that was a big number. And I was like, oh, okay, this is really cool. Like people are... I hope it picks up momentum. Um, the more you share, too, on social media and the more you like, uh, the more attention it's likely going to get. So um, we hope to reach more and more listeners all over the world yeah. through social media. That's the best way to do it. 
Um, and as we part, we wish you all, as always, good guiding. Good guiding. Day is done, gone the sun, from the lake, from the hills, from the sky. All is well, safely rest, peace is nigh.